so uh, welcome back to Psychology Through Lies of Faith. I'm Estera and I'm here with Mark from Faith Powerhouse. You can go ahead and introduce yourself. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm Mark Smith and I'm the director of the Powerhouse here in Tacoa and the Powerhouse is a division of an organization called Faith mm -hmm. and Faith stands for Fight Abuse in the Home. And at the Powerhouse, we're a child advocacy center and we're also an adult sexual assault center. So I am the director of uh, both of the programs there, and we've been here in Tacoa since 2002. Awesome, awesome. Let me tell you a little bit about Faith, mm -hmm. so you know what we do. Uh, Faith serves the Mountain Judicial Circuit, and the Mountain Judicial Circuit is the counties of Rabin County, Habersham County, and Stevens County. Faith has four different divisions. The first of those is the Domestic Violence Shelter, and the domestic violence shelter is actually located in Clayton, so it's in Rabin County, and it serves victims of uh, domestic abuse uh, and provides a place for people to stay if you're in Rabin County and been a victim of domestic abuse. And it's similar to the Circle of Hope, which provides the same type of services in Habersham County and in Stevens County. So that's the first division. The second division is the Powerhouse, and we're the Child Advocacy Center for all three counties and the Sexual Assault Center. If a child is physically or sexually abused within one of the three counties, there's a protocol in place. And that's a, that's a signed document that says that the child comes to us and we actually work the case. And the beauty of it is that the child comes to us and they only have to tell their story one time. Um, if we weren't here and before uh, this approach to working child cases was started, a child may have to go to law enforcement, the sheriff or the police, and tell their story. And the child may have to go to the hospital or to a doctor and tell their story. Mm -hmm. Or the child may have to go to the Department of Family and Children's Services, defects, and tell their story. So they would be telling the story over and over again. And so they were re-traumatizing themselves each time they told the story. So what's put into place is called an MDT approach, multidisciplinary team approach, which means that the child comes to the powerhouse and they tell the story one time. And they tell it to a trained professional who is trained to be able to open the door for a child to tell what happened, but not lead them into anything that happened. Anything that's brought up, they have to bring up, and then you can explore it. The other disciplines, whether it's DFACS or law enforcement or whoever else may be part of the case, are also there. And they watch the interview from over a closed-circuit television network so that they can see it in real time and hear it, but they're not in the room with the child. The child only has their, their they being in the room and the forensic interviewer itself. So the beauty is, as I said earlier, the child tells the story one time. So that's important. Um, the other side of the coin that we do at the powerhouse is we're an adult sexual assault uh, center. So if an adult is physically or sexually abused in any way, they also come here and they receive services from us. A child and an adult are treated differently as you'd expect based on age. If you're 18 or over, you have the decision to make uh, the choices of what you want to do. Every person who is sexually assaulted in the state of Georgia, if you're an adult, you have the right to what's called a SANE exam. A SANE exam is a medical exam that's done by a sexual assault nurse examiner to make sure that your body's okay, that there's no problems, uh, check for any type of uh, social diseases, 
anything that goes forward along those lines and to document any injuries you may have. And that's free. And that's, that's, that's something that's set up by the state. But in terms of going further with the, uh, with a case and making a case with law enforcement or whatever, that's the choice of the adult. So we educate them on the pros and cons of where they want to go and help them have the uh, information to be able to make the decision as to whether they want to go forward with a court case or not. So that's kind of different because with a child, law prescribes what's to be done and the case does go forward and so forth. So we've got the first division being domestic violence for faith and the second division being uh, the powerhouse and we deal with adults and children. And then the third division of faith is a thrift store division. <clears throat> and that division, while it sounds different from the others, is a very integral part of what happens because a lot of the funding that we receive comes from grants. And those grants many times have stipulations with them that it may be a $100,000 grant and we're going to fund you 80000 but you have to put in 20000 So it's called matching funds that goes into a grant. And so it's through the thrift stores that we raise the money to be able to have the funds for matching funds that come from a grant. So that's the three divisions of faith as it goes forward. And I thought what we might do at this particular point is uh, focus in on the powerhouse because that's where we are at this particular time. And Estera is with us doing uh, an internship with us. And I thought you might be interested in um, some statistics from the powerhouse. In general, we will work between the adults and the children around 250 new cases each year. Mm. Now, when we start a case, there's a lot of different pieces to it. There's the crisis, and the crisis may be where we have the forensic interview and the SANE exam. We also have advocacy, where an advocate is assigned to every family and every client who comes in to be able to help them work through what's going on in their life. It may be a court accompaniment because it may be a case that's going to court. It may be that they have an issue with their housing. It may be that they don't have food in their house. It can be almost anything. And the advocate is there to help them work through that situation. And then the other side that's very extremely important is therapy. Many, many cases uh, have therapy associated with it to help the victim put behind them what happened. You can't take it away. If a child or an adult is sexually or physically abused and it occurs to them, it occurred. And it can affect them in their life as they move forward. But through therapy, you can help them put that abuse behind them so that it's not something that is messing up their life as they move forward and give them the opportunity to get back to a more normal type of life. And the therapy that's associated with that is called trauma-focused cognitive behavior therapy known as TFCBT, and that's a particular type of therapy which has been developed to deal with someone who's been through a traumatic event. And you got to admit, being physically or sexually abused is a traumatic event. So that's important. <clears throat> so out of that 250 cases that we will see each year, many of those will have therapy that we provide as, it, as, as we move forward. None of the services that we provide at the powerhouse cost anything to the person who receives them. We provide them all free of charge through grants or through fundraisers or through fundraising activities and all sorts of stuff like that. It's, it's very important that it, it doesn't cost anybody anything. 
because you know physical abuse and sexual abuse, and particularly sexual abuse, it doesn't know anything about the people. It doesn't know if you've got money. It doesn't know if you're up in the society or who you are. It pervades all levels of society. I thought you might like to know a little bit about the break, break ground, uh, breakdown of that 250 cases that we'll do each year. Probably right at 60% of those will all be cases related to sexual abuse. That's a lot of cases. About 20% of those are going to be related to cases of physical abuse. And the other 20% to make up 100 is made up of people who may be witnesses to a case that may come in, or it could be a counseling-only referral. For example, you may have been abused as a child and never did anything about it, and later in life it may begin to haunt you to where it's time for you to get the therapy that you need to move forward. So that's the breakdown of where the cases go. And in terms of the counties that we serve, the population level in the county relates directly to how many cases we receive from that county. Out of our three-county area of Habersham, Stevens, and Rabin, Habersham is the largest, and over 50% of our cases typically come out of Habersham. Stevens is next, and Rabin is next. And the case levels that we get from both of those counties are also proportionate that way. <clears throat> The other thing I thought you might be interested in knowing is a breakdown of cases by sex. Basically, for the whole year out of that 250 cases, 70% of them will be female and 30% of them will be male. And let's look at that a little bit further. If you look at cases starting down when, a, when it's a child case that comes in, up until the age of puberty, the case mixture is probably 50-50. We get as many boys as we get girls. But once a child reaches puberty, and particularly boys have reached puberty, they just quit talking. And if something happens to them, particularly if it's something that's sexual, they just clam up and they just keep it in. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to be marked or said you're not a strong person or maybe you're not the man you need to be. I don't know what all the pieces are, but guys typically just clam up. So after you, a guy goes through puberty, we don't have near as many cases coming in for males. But later on in life, many times that male has to come back to us for therapy. We have uh, guys that are in their 20s and 30s that just, it finally comes out. Uh, the things that happened to them as a kid or as a teenager that they never said anything about. And we'll provide the therapy that they need at that particular time as it moves forward. So that gives you a breakdown of the types of cases that we do the mixture according to sex, and what the cases are in terms of sexual, physical, witness, and counseling only. I thought maybe you'd also like to know some other statistics too. Uh, the statistics for kids are up until the age of 18, one in 10 uh, children will be approached typically for an unwanted sexual advance. You know, that's a high number but it's lower than it used to be. And I think that's because of um, programs that we have in place that raise people's awareness of how not to put your kid into a uh, position to where they could be approached for an unwanted sexual advance. But one in 10 is the number that's out there. Now, if you go to adults, the number is, for people who are 18 and over, over the lifetime, uh, one in six women will be approached for either a rape or an attempted rape and one in 33 men 
will be approached for a rape or attempted rape. So that number and the percentage changes after we become adults and the women are much more vulnerable than the men. And it's the younger women who are of like college age uh, that are more likely to be the recipient of someone who wants to do an unwanted rape or attempted rape on them. And I thought you might like to know that the location of a sexual assault for an adult, 55% um, of those appear or happen near your home. 15% of those may happen in an open place, say an open park or something like that. 12% of those may be happening in a relative's home or a friend's home. 10% uh, of those are in an enclosed public pay place, like maybe a parking garage or something like that. <clears throat> and the balance of those 8% typically happen in a school-type setting. Uh, usually it's on a college-type campus. And what was that survivor doing when that crime occurred? 48% of them were sleeping or performing other activity. They were just at their homes, and, and they were approached for a rape or an attempt to break. 29 to 30% of them may be traveling. They may be going to and from work. They may be going to school. They may be going on a shopping run or errand, but they're out in the public and someone approaches them for something that's not good. 12% of it happens in the work environment. 7% of it happens in attending school, and that matches the location that we had 7 to 8% before those. And 5% of those are just some other activity. They were just approached from uh, an unwanted sexual advance, and there may not have been a particular activity that, that they were working on as it goes forward. So that gives you some of the background about sexual assault and physical abuse, the mixture and the makeup of what we see in this area here, and then some national statistics as it goes forward from there. Awesome. That cool. was a big overview. That was really good. Well, I thought it would give us the background to be able to move yeah. forward from that standpoint. Awesome. So my next question would be more personal of, you know, what was your, I guess, um, kind of path towards this field and what caused you to be in this field and even interested in it? I did not go to school for this. I went to school to be in business. Um, and actually for 38 years I was a banker and I was a regional bank president and a small bank president as it goes forward. And in the year of 2010, uh, the banking industry went through a tremendous upheaval where a lot of banks failed. And I was in one of the banks that failed because the capital section of the bank uh, was not large enough to support the size of the bank itself as it goes forward. Um, so the bank closed and I was out of a job. The FDIC walked in one day and said, thank you, Mr. Smith. We appreciate all the work that you've done. Uh, but uh, the bank is no longer functioning. It's been sold to another bank and they no longer need your services. And that's the first time I've ever been fired, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so that was an eye-opening experience and it makes you stand back and say, ooh, let's think about what we're gonna do next. Yeah. Well, I have a friend in the community who is, who is actually the head of faith and she was having an issue here at the powerhouse. It wasn't running as smoothly as she wanted it to run and she could not ha did not have the time to be down here and work it and so she said, Mark, I need somebody with some business background and some administrative background to please go to the powerhouse and spend a little time there and see if you can help them straighten out some things and, and maybe give me a, some feedback on do, do we need to change things or what do we need to do or maybe we need to close it, I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I came down and was scheduled to spend a week 
and I'm in year 12 now. <laughs> so I really liked what I saw. I, I, I didn't grow up in, in a family where there was any abuse, so my eyes were open terrifically. Mm -hmm. Then the first day that I was there, a case came in, and the case was a little boy who came in, and he had a big, huge red mark around his neck, and he had a black eye. And that was something I'd never seen before that way in that type of a setting. And it turned out that um, mom had gone to work and mom's boyfriend was staying with the little boy. And the little boy had spilled his food or his cereal, whatever he was eating, on the floor. And the uh, uh, boyfriend got so incensed because it made a mess that he picked him up by his neck with his hand and blacked his eye with his fist. And that was eye-opening to see that and to see that, that what that boy went through and it, it's not the boy's fault. There's nothing he could have done. And he was an innocent victim. And I think that, I think that and made an indelible mark on me that a lot of times we may be put in a situation to where we have no control. And that's what sexual assault is. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Where you have no control and you're the victim of somebody else's outrage. And, and opened my eyes and... I began to see that perhaps one of the things that I could do as I moved forward was that I could help kids. I could help kids that were in situations like that that needed somebody and they needed they needed help and they needed somebody just, if nothing else, to believe in them. So I would tell you that I was a banker for 38 years and that I loved what I did and hopefully I made a big difference in the communities that I served with the types of loans and things that we did. But I'll tell you that I'm where I'm supposed to be now. It just took 38 years to get yeah. there because yeah. I think that the work I'm doing now, helping kids and people who are in these type of situations, makes me feel more satisfied. And I go home at night hoping I've made a difference in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. You can't always, but many times you do. So that's, that's kind of where I came from. That's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> I am an advocate and I have been trained. Uh, so I, while I didn't go to school for the type of training that you are getting at the present time, I have had the training that I need to be able to be an advocate mm -hmm. to work with families and, and with uh, victims as they come along now, too. Yeah. I think that's um, very, it's like so crazy when, you know, as an individual, just as a human being and person, to be exposed to something like that at a mm -hmm. certain point in your life. And it is eye-opening. Like, before, it's you kind very of almost so. felt ignorant. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, this was this is right under my nose. Even, mm -hmm. like, on a bigger scope of just human mm -hmm. trafficking, just the whole in general of like abuse and oh yes it's just it, it's very for me at least it was very eye-opening to know the statistics of where and when and how often mm -hmm. it happens and how that's you know like um in the darkness to light training it talks right. about 90 percent mm -hmm. someone that they know right and that was just i think that's like what spurred me to become mm -hmm. so passionate about this field i think most people when they find the statistics for the first time if they haven't grown up in an abusive type situation are totally shocked. Mm -hmm. I know I was totally shocked. I mean, it's not the guy in the park with the trench coat. I mean, yeah. that happens, I'm sure. But it's it's people you know, mm -hmm. uh, particularly with children. Uh, so many times kids are abused and sexually abused in particular by people that they know. It may be mom's boyfriend. It could be, uh, it could be a parent figure. It can be a teacher at school. It can be... Uh, the, the friend next door, uh, bullying is a form of sexual abuse in many cases. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a good time to talk a little bit about what sexual abuse is. Yeah. Sexual abuse is exerting power over somebody 
whether it's an adult exerting power over a child, or whether it's two kids where one is more powerful than another, or whether it's two adults exerting power, and that power to result in the sexual gratification of one of those people are to be used that way. So um, it's sexual assault is an extremely hard thing to deal with, and, and it, the definition just depends on what's happening to the person. And you can throw in that grooming because there's many times when you've got an adult or sometimes an older kid, but typically an adult who's grooming a child so that they can exploit them sexually as they go forward. And that may be befriend them, let me take you get ice cream. You get the child to where they feel like they're, they owe the person something because they've been so nice to them and they've given them all these things, they've taken all these places, so now they want a sexual favor. Maybe I need to do that because of what they've done so they've been groomed and they've been and it's it's amazing and i think a lot of times the internet's one of the places that that happens a lot too oh, yeah. because you don't know who you're talking to i mean they can say oh i'm a 12 year old boy yeah. and they're a 20 year old man or whatever so those things are really really important and you brought up a minute ago the idea of sexual exploitation mm -hmm. um, it pains me to know that in the united states atlanta georgia has more cases per capita of sexual exploitation than anywhere else in the nation. Yeah, and I don't, okay. I don't know if it's the airport or if it's because we're such a huge airport or if it's the sports teams or what, but there's more of those yeah. here I think and going on than anything else. It's also the roads because it's so mm -hmm. many. It's a melting major, pot. Yeah. Everything comes together Major here. roads. Yeah. Because the, I remember I heard a while ago, like maybe the first year or two I came here at Tacoa, someone said like, yeah, like there's, a lot of actual victims that pass mm -hmm. through Big A Road and just oh, there this, is. I mean, mm -hmm. that was insane to me. I was like, mm -hmm. you would never know yeah. stuff like this. Oh, we've had victims of human trafficking at the powerhouse yeah. uh, that came through Tacoa on their way that way too. So it's, 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 it's a hard thing to do with as it goes forward. Yeah. And I think when it, um, when you were talking about grooming, I think that's one of the things that's almost even if I were a parent, the scariest thing, and I, that, I think that's why I want to educate so many people about mm -hmm. it, because it's like, I think it's one of the most important things to educate yourself and mm -hmm. your kids about. I do too. Because, I mean, who are you leaving your children with? What kind of exposure mm -hmm. or access to the yeah. internet are you giving them? That's true. And not knowing mm -hmm. that there's grooming being mm -hmm. involved, and it can seem so innocent at first. And even a parent that's not as protective can see it and think that mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong. But in the end, it, it's yeah. so harmful. Well, that's one of the things we try to do through the powerhouse. Everything we've talked about has been cases and it's been the crisis and the way we have kids work through those. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we also have outreach programs that we do on a regular basis, too. And you mentioned earlier Darkness to Light. Darkness to Light is a program of Stewards of Children, Darkness to Light is a nationally recognized program that, that we facilitate, and I'm one of the facilitators, uh, where we go to groups and organizations. We've mm -hmm. talked to churches, we've talked to civic groups, we've talked to uh, uh, library groups, we've talked lots of different people, classes yeah. and things like that. And it's designed to be able to raise awareness so that a parent may be putting a child in a position to where they could be approached for an unwanted sexual advance, and they don't even know it. Mm -hmm. And, and typically it deals with one-on-one -on -one type situations, uh, being able to observe a child when they're uh, with other people and, and things like that. And never letting a child be alone with a person 
on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And I think that's a very important thing. And I think that it, it works both ways too. And I, when I'm in my facilitating mode, I'm talking about it being one-on-one -on -one with a child. I also talk about the, the adult saying, you need to be careful too because you never want to be in a position where a child could accuse you of a, an, an adverse sexual a, approach when it really didn't happen because the child may be mad at you. That can so, happen. So it works both ways. Mm -hmm. You're protecting yourself as well as protecting the child. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents don't, they just don't think about the fact that, oh, that's the neighbor down the street. They're fine. You know, we see them every day. But you don't really know what's happening in that house. So it, it's, it's important it, that it, you yeah. know. It's hard to, I can understand how people wouldn't want to believe that or know that because they don't want to seem untrustworthy but correct but it's not even that it's just mm -hmm. precautionary oh absolutely and, and even and i like that it's mm -hmm. like you know you don't even think about the child um saying that you did something yeah. to them like you don't, yeah, you even, don't think about you don't that even, at all no no because like you guys talked about it could be the child you know it happening with someone mm -hmm. they know in the home but mm -hmm. they don't they're too scared to blame it on them so they blame right. it on a safe adult correct and that's, you never think about that mm -hmm. either. A lot of it deals with being everything being observable, mm -hmm. being from the standpoint that you can see. For example, we're in a, in a booth right now uh, for the recording studio, but there's a big glass there mm -hmm. so that what we do could be observed. If you were here with a child and it was all the doors were closed, it was just the two of y'all, mm -hmm. then that would not be a healthy situation. I'm not expecting anything to happen yeah. at all, but it would be more conducive to something if two people were together with no one being way to be observed and that's what we talk about mm -hmm. so you're never suggesting there's something going on you're just suggesting how do you fix it so that you don't have the opportunity for something to go on I think everybody should know yes. that I I know I'm really glad that when I was at camp this summer we got the same kind of almost the same kind of training as yeah. darkness to light mm -hmm. called ministry safe and we yes, were taught there's another one too there's never, several of them out yeah. there yeah and they're really good and and another thing is I wish everyone could take mm -hmm. that kind of training because it's like on a basic level so needed it's almost like on a basic level you know uh high school you know graduate like mm -hmm. education it's like that needed mm -hmm. um well there's two or three things that need to be in the high school that's not there one of those is that that type yeah. of training the other one is they don't teach people in the high school anymore how to balance a checkbook mm -hmm. and that goes back to my old regime before i became this and yeah. i was in the banker Kids don't know how to write a check because they all use plastic now, yeah, yeah. and they don't know how to balance that checkbook. Budget. You know, it goes back to, well, I've still got checks. Why can't I keep writing them? You know, and the money's gone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but the whole one-on-one, -on -one, you know, not being one-on-one -on -one is, I mean, the best thing I could have been taught out of anything because I, I think that's at the basic level what can start the conversation. Correct. I agree. Um, but to move on, do you think you mm -hmm. could tell us what are some signs of sexual abuse that people can look for, you know, as observers and as, man like, because we're all mandated mm -hmm. reporters, yeah. everybody in Georgia, yeah. doesn't matter anybody what. Anybody who works with a child is a mandated reporter yeah. uh, all the way through, and that's an important thing. Mm -hmm. There are, there's two ways of looking at signs for abuse happening, particularly sexual abuse. Uh, there's always the physical signs, and the, the physical signs are not always in an area where you could see, but typically they could be rashes or bumps or things like that around the mouth, the, the anus, the genitals, anything along those lines. So if you're a parent and you observe that on your child, you need to open the door and say, what's going on? 
is there something wrong or be checked out by a doctor from that standpoint. But there's other signs which I think are more important to think about. And they're emotional signs or behavioral signs. Um, I think it's really important if a child has always gone with a child uh, with someone or always wanted to be around them, and all of a sudden, I don't want to be with Aunt Jane. Or all of a sudden, I don't want to go with that babysitter who comes and speaks me up at school every day. Um, if their mood changes, uh, teenagers have changes, we know that, and there's hormonal. Uh, but if something else changes in the way that a child reacts to someone being in the room or reacts to things that are going on, you ought to just step back and say, hmm, what's changed? Is there something there that I don't know? And give the opportunity for that child to talk to you as it goes forward. There's other signs, too. You've uh, People cope in different ways with things that happen to them. And I know of, of instances where a child who has been physically or sexually abused may keep themselves so busy, they're an overachiever, they keep working and they can't stop anything uh, because it keeps their mind off of what happened to them. So they're performing so dramatically with uh, with their academics and things and so forth like that. Or it could be a physical event like a, an athletic or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. So I think mood changes, uh, changes in what you do on a regular basis, uh, if, uh, particularly drawing back from one someone or maybe a, a child doesn't like to be touched anymore mm -hmm. you walk up and you've always put your hand on their shoulder and they sleep away mm -hmm. from you that slipping away may tell you something mm -hmm. so it's that's the biggest differences is those types of changes yeah um and it makes me think of how when ministries they've talked to us how i mean the crazy amount of ways that it could happen in public mm -hmm. or in private and mm -hmm. how I mean, we were given examples of the most regular things that people can do on a regular basis with children, but it could be, I mean, it could, it could be seen as sexual abuse. Like mm -hmm. one example was um, an adult who was close with a family mm -hmm. and he would throw, you know, you throw kids up in the air like always. Yes. And he would throw them up, mm -hmm. but catch them in a specific way right in front Correct. of the parents. Mm -hmm. Nobody suspected yeah. a thing until, you know, enough mm -hmm. cases or children mm. spoke up and, and that it happens in a swimming pool a lot too yeah. i'm going to help you swim and it's where i'm holding you you know yeah. it makes a difference too it's sad i mean yeah. and i think that's i mean we can um go towards the question of like uh 